Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Creekside Church. We're excited to worship with you today, and we're glad you're here. The Word says that where two or three are gathered together in His name, He is there. It says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people, and, and so we're, we're looking forward to praising Him with you this morning. Brooke's going to read a verse to just get our hearts prepared for worship here. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Psalms 28, 7. Welcome to Creekside Church, and if you are new, we've added a new feature, which is not new if you've been here a long time, but we've added it back again. There's a little flap on the back of the bulletin. So if you are new or relatively new, uh, we'd like for you to fill that out and put it into the offering when it comes around later. That way we can get some information from you and reach out and see if you have any questions that we can help answer or help you know more about Creekside Church here. And speaking on that, um, last month we had a new, mem new members class. We called it the Get to Know Us class. It's a part of our membership process here. And some, several people weren't able to make it due to schedules. And so we're going to try to do another one here in the next two to three weeks. So um, if you're interested in that, please let myself or S Steve know about that. Also, we feel strongly that the Lord is um, calling us to pray as a church together. We want to do that more regularly. And so we are going to do that quarterly. This um, summer we did that, and we are going to try to get everybody together again on October 21st at 6.30 p.m. Uh, for an all-church prayer night. Then there is the uh, Dress a Girl Pancake Breakfast fundraiser on November 3rd. Um, and then um, I'm particularly up here today representing Awana, and so much has been going on this past month that we just want to share some of the glories of God and what's been going on in the last few weeks, really, and just ask for your prayers Ask for more volunteers, because we need volunteers. We need at least a few more helpers to help us out throughout the night on Wednesday nights. Uh, we've got in Awana, ages about one and a half through fifth grade, and then we've also got our older youth programs. But we could really use more help. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Steve and I went out to what's the Karen Baptist Church on Southeast Fifth Street, and we just were, uh, we didn't know what to expect. We thought we were gonna meet with a few elders, and they seated us in front of 40 people and said, what do you, what do you want to say? <laughs> and uh, so we uh, talked about different ministry possibilities with them, and this is the group that was here for seven years um, in Sunday afternoons, and then they moved out into their own building about a year, year and a half ago, and they filled this place. There are about 320 people now, um, about 100 kids. They don't have any kids' programs on Wednesday nights, so one of the things we talked about was having their kids come to Awana. Well, transportation is kind of a problem for them, but that first week... Uh, a few of the moms took it upon themselves, and they brought about 12 kids out to Awana, a couple more in youth group. Then this last week, uh, we saw another 10 new kids from their church. So uh, our numbers are growing quickly, and also, just praise the Lord, in the last couple weeks here, we've had the joy of celebrating a couple of young girls who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So praise the Lord for that. We're seeing fruit from the ministry, and a lot of new kids, and we could definitely use some helpers for that. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, back into our singing time. Heavenly Father, we are, are thankful that you were busy and active and working to save souls all around the world. 
at all times. And Lord, we thank you for the Haiti team who has returned, and we look forward to hearing their stories of how you've worked down in Haiti through them and the lives of the Haitians. And Lord, we thank you that you were also working here at that very same time, saving souls of young children and bringing children to hear the gospel here at Creekside. And we pray that would continue and that you would bless it and that more would get involved in it, Lord. And it's exciting to see um, young minds opened up to the truth that Jesus Christ can save them uh, from their sins and that they can have eternal life by simply putting their faith and trust and hope in him. And uh, we thank you for that free gift that all of us as believers hold on to. And that's what draws us together in unity here this morning, Lord, that we have a common faith, a common hope in our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And uh, now as we sing praises back to you, Lord, may you receive them and be blessed and as we're blessed too. Amen. thank the praise team for leading us in worship and encouraging us to worship his holy name. I want to welcome back our guys that went to Haiti and encourage each of you to think about when you approach them. We're going to hear more from them later, okay? They're going to, we're going to have a Sunday in which they give us an update. But I want you to think about when you approach them, what's one question you could ask them? Instead of going up and just saying, well, hey, how was your trip? Which, you, that's fine. I don't care if you say that, uh, if you want to take two hours to listen to them talk about their trip. But because their cups are full, and they're ready to spill it out. And so if you just bump them, it's going to come out. And I want it to come out, but I pray that you just think about one question that you want. If you want a 30-second to one-minute answer than just ask them one question. What was one of the neatest things that God did while you were there? What's one lesson that God taught you uh, about his faithfulness or just that he taught you? What's one way that you were encouraged by the ministry that's going on in Haiti? What one thing would you say to people like me who didn't get a good go uh, that we should consider um, in our support? What's one way that you saw God use the, the funds that were raised and the way that we support you, just that kind of thing, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ministry that you've given us at Creekside and for the exciting things that are happening in Awana, the way that your spirit is working. I'm excited about the way that your spirit is, is working in and through uh, the ministry overseas as well, and I just pray that as we look to your word that we would remember that it is you it is your word. It is salvation through faith in Christ that is the, the centerpiece of the ministry and of our message and of our lives. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that each of us needs to hear and that it might be for your glory and that it might be for the gain of your kingdom. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, we were traveling as a family in northwest Iowa, home from, a, I think it was a vacation we had gone on, and there was a road closed sign ahead. 
Uh, and so I'm wearing a little warning sign, you know, like I'm the, I'm the guy there that's uh, running the, the flags, okay, or the sign, the stop sign. In fact, in Indiana, we ran across this several different times when we were on our vacation a week ago, and we had to come across all these little people like this. And yesterday, as we were traveling back home, we came up to a road closed, uh, and then you've seen this before, road closed uh, through traffic, or to through traffic, local traffic only. And, and I must confess that over the course of my life, those have been like a challenge sign. Not, not a warning sign, it's kind of like a challenge. Because I know that more often than not, there's a shorter detour. You know, they want to detour you around, and they send you to the nearest, you know, 40-mile-away paved road because they think we're crazy people and we wouldn't take a shortcut. I'm not afraid to go on gravel road if I can cut 10 miles off of my trip. And so, or, or there may be, as has often been the case, no detour needed. You just cruise right through there. And I, I, I'm saying I confess that because, you know, I'm wearing this because we, we should follow the signs, okay? And I would confess that and tell you that yesterday on our way home on Highway 169 at Ogden, it says road closed to through traffic, local traffic only. And I know because someone had told us I could get through that road. But I didn't. I turned off the exit at Ogden. I sat there for a moment. And then the junior Holy Spirit sitting next to me. <laughs> brought conviction to my spirit. And I got back on Highway 30 and went east to Boone. And then down Highway 17 into Urbandale. We have many road signs and many signs, warning signs that are in our lives that are intended to save our lives. And we seem to ignore them. Our lives are filled with them. We read them, but we do not heed them. We read, R-E-A-D, but we do not heed, H-E-E-D, these signs. We forget about them. We just ignore them. Now think about the Surgeon General. When I was back in the, back in the day, it used to be Surgeon General warning Cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health, but now it's even more explicit. You're going to die from this. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. It says it'll cause cancer, okay, complications of pregnancy. But isn't it true that uh, we still see people smoking cigarettes? People still light up. I know of a guy that just, a farmer who in the last year and a half actually started his corn crib on fire by using gasoline. Crazy, isn't it? We take off the safety shields. We disconnect the, the thing on the mower that you're sitting in when it has the electric start thing, and it, if you get up off the seat, it, it kills the mower. Well, we disconnect those things. We step on the deck when the mower blades are going. We fail to heed the warning signs. We don't wear the safety goggles when we're supposed to using power tools. We don't use our seat belts. We exceed the speed limit. Warning, 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 and we ignore the warning signs. Why? Well, let's just face it, to be honest. I mean, warning signs are kind of great against our sense of independence. It's like, well, who's going to tell me I can't do this? They insult our intelligence. When our kids were little, we had a swing 
you know, I don't know, maybe they're outlawed now, you know, but they had a swing. Can you be on the top of the swing? It said, warning, do not disassemble the motor. It may cause death. I thought, to whom? The guy disconnecting the motor? Or to the child? Because there's no motor in the thing. Then later on it says, if you do not have the instructions, do not operate the swing. Okay, guys, come on. How many times you read the instructions? I mean, those instructions, a kid who cannot read could run the swing. So why do we need the instructions to run the swing? Those warning signs grate against us because we, we don't want to listen to them. Look at these warning signs. I, I got a few that I picked out. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Now, that's, uh, that's uh, helpful. Oh, and then... Don't touch the edges of this sign. And then bound in the small print, it says, oh, also, the bridge is out ahead. <laughs> and then look at this next one. Falling cows. Okay, let's go to the next one. Caution. Low-flying aircraft. Uh, that got my attention. Do I have another one there? Yeah, I think there's one more. Yeah, caution. This machine has no brain. Use your own. I would suggest that that's why we have most warning signs. It's because people don't use their brain. But those people don't read either. And when they do read, they don't heed. As we are in the, 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 the book of Hebrews, it's interesting to me that repeated signs, uh, the author issues repeated warning signs. Repeated warning signs are all through the book of Hebrews to given to, the, uh, to save the souls of the immature and the insecure professing believers. And the danger is that they don't heed it. In chapter 3, beginning in chapter 3, chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the writer of Hebrews lays out a case for abandoning a fair-weather faith. These are my words. These are not Bob's words from last week, okay? But abandoning a fair-weather faith and embracing a forever faith. Consider Jesus, the author of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Consider Jesus, because he's far superior to Moses, so consider him and embrace Jesus Christ. Not some other false doctrine or false teaching. Not some other teaching. Jesus is even more superior than Moses, who is the great teacher and father of Judaism. Then in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which is what we're getting to today, he appeals to the tragic consequences of Israel's past historic failures as incentive for believers to receive, or these professing believers and all people, to receive Jesus rather than to reject Jesus. I mean, if Israel rejected Moses, and he was their top dog teacher, and he's inferior to Jesus, then what's going to happen to those people who reject Jesus? Who's the top? Well, that's what the author of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, explains to us. He issues another warning in this book that we need to read, but we also need to heed. And so in the second of two appeals, the second appeal is 7 through 19, highlighting the necessity of a genuine faith in Christ, 
there are two ways the author cautions us against unbelief. I'm in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. I invite you to join me in the text as we read down through the text. First word in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Lest in any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For, it, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked me when they, heard, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter into, enter because of unbelief. There it is. He's issuing us another warning. And there are two parts to this warning. There are two ways he cautions us against unbelief. First, we're supposed to learn from the example of the past. And that's verses 7 through 11. Begins with, therefore. Okay, here's our question. Therefore, whenever we see the word therefore, we're supposed to ask, what is it therefore? And the word therefore almost always points back and it almost always points forward. It's a transition word. And so it points back. To the superiority of Jesus. He's superior over the prophets. Chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. He's superior to the angels. And he's continually making this case. But particularly in chapter 1 verses 5 through 14. And then down in through chapter 2. And he's superior to Moses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So in light of the fact that Jesus is superior, we get to the end of chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and he says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast. Don't settle for less when you have Jesus, who's superior to all. Then the therefore points us forward as it transitions. He says, just as the Holy Spirit, verse 7, it says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit points us forward, saying that the connection between verse 6 and what's to follow is divinely inspired. So we need to listen to what has been divinely inspired. And what is it that's divinely inspired? He quotes Psalm 95. Who was the champion of the faith of the Israelites? That man of God, the prophet who, who gave them much of the Old Testament, wrote the Pentateuch, Moses. So they're listening to Moses. I mean, that was the appeal of chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And now he says, I'm going to quote Moses to you. And I'm going to teach you a lesson from the life of Moses. And this quotation of Psalm 95 anchors the author's argument in their highest recognized authority. 
what Moses wrote that came from God's word, but it also illustrates something. It illustrates how Israel's disobedience serves as a warning against unbelief in all time. The way they behaved and the result that it brought is the same result that will come if we behave similarly. That's a hard word to say, fast. So he starts it with today. And three times in this section, he uses that word today. And I think intentionally. Because he wants us to know that what he's about to say is for today. So he starts today and it begins the quote. It's repeated in chapter 3, verse 7, verse 13, and verse 15. And we'll look at them. And it stresses the urgent action that needs to come because the lessons of the past are pertinent for the present, for those of us in the present. And so that's what he shares with us. Today. There are three mistakes that the people in the past made that we need to learn from. And so he begins to articulate them. And I'm going to lay them out for you. In verse 8, he says, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's speaking about the children of Israel, particularly the mistake they made, which is mentioned in Exodus chapter 17, where they had spent 400 years in captivity. And then after the 400 years, God graciously and mercifully, and compassionately, and generously brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then what did they do when they spent a little time in the wilderness, and they started to get thirsty? Where's the water, Moses? Where's the water, Moses? Where's the water, Moses? And so they rebelled against God. I think that's what's particularly in view when he says, if you hear my my voice, do not harden your hearts as as when they provoked me. Do not harden your hearts. They went on, that that was the place is named Meribah, which means bitter in Hebrew. Meribah, bitter. Because they were bitter against God, because they doubted that God was going to take care of them. I asked you this morning, they said, we, we don't know if God is with us. And I'm not attempting to pull this out of a hat. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, it says, they wondered, is God with us? Have you ever wondered if God is with you? Have you ever been in a a situation where you were overcome by your circumstances? You're overwhelmed by your expenses. You're under-equipped for what life is bringing to you. You just feel weighed down. Is God with me? They did. They felt that way. And we have felt that way. And if we haven't, we will sometime feel that way if we're honest with ourselves. Is God with us? And he says, so what did they do? They doubted. Is God with us? We don't doubt. It's a warning. Don't be like them. Don't harden your hearts and think that God is not with you. Doubt or unbelief leads to the second mistake they made, which was we are to avoid disobeying God. You see, Doubt is the root of, uh, actually unbelief is the, is the root of all sin. And unbelief leads to disobedience. And so they doubted, they didn't believe, and then they disobeyed. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. That's the, the word there. They provoked me. And they tested me. Rebellion at Meribah, Exodus 17, was just one of many 
examples of their rebellion and their hostility towards God throughout that 40-year period of, of wandering. Notice the text says, if, if we go at the end of verse 8, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. How long were they in the wilderness? 40 years, right? But he says, a day. So, you know, you have to read the Bible and understand the context of what the day means. A day means, in this sense, it means that whole period of time. He's looking at it as a period of time. In that day, that 40-year period, they tested him and tested him and tested him and tested him, and he was tired of their testing. They were rebellious against Almighty God. They kept rejecting him. Therefore, I was angry, it says in verse 10, which the word angry, if you went back to Psalm 95 and you looked at verse 10, you'd see it corresponds with the word loathed. God loathed, that's L-O-A-T-H-E-D, loathed them, okay? Forty years of disobedience. Forty years of bullheadedness and stubbornness and resistance against God. Yeah, it started. We could go to all these different instances in which they, they did rebel against God. There were numerous, numerous times in Exodus 14 and Exodus 17 and Exodus 32 and Numbers chapter 11 and Numbers 14 through 21. The sons of Korah, they refused to go into the promised land because they thought the giants were too big and everything. And Joshua and Caleb were the only dudes who said, yeah, we can do this thing. God's with us. And the other guys are saying, no, we can't do it so much. We're afraid of these people, blah, 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 blah. He kept resisting and rebelling for 40 years. And God got ticked off. That's my translation of loathed. Okay? He loathed them. See, God is not just cognitively disturbed by our disobedience. He's viscerally moved because He's holy and righteous against our rebellion. And the cause of His displeasure was perpetual sin and historically he says that my wrath comes upon those who do not rely upon me my wrath comes upon those who reject me and who turn their back on me he's pleased when our hearts are his that's the shema in deuteronomy chapter 6 hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one and you shall worship the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind with all of our being. Psalm 51 verse 17. The Lord does not delight in burnt offerings or sacrifices. But the sacrifices of the Lord are broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh Lord you will not despise. So this rebellion in our heart. Is, is angers God because he's holy and righteous. And the therefore. If we see it in verse 10. I was angry. Points us back to that 40-year period, and it points us, and he describes it further there in verse 10, why he was angry. They always go astray, and they did not know my ways. They didn't want to know his ways. They rejected his ways, and then the therefore points us forward, if we look at verse 11, at the consequences. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. The warning sounded for everyone who would hear his voice, not just then, but for today. It's a warning of how God deals with rebellion. When I was a child, I have two siblings, 
And so this is back in the day. We didn't have car seats, you know. We just kind of sleep on the floor of the car or sleep in the back window or crawl around into the front seat, the back seat, you know. Dogs can sit in your lap now when you're driving, but kids can't. So uh, I'm not sure how that goes. But anyhow, uh, we used to crawl around, and we'd, there's three of us in the back seat, and we had to go for a long distance to get to my, our, my grandparents. And so and invariably, any parent will tell you, you put three siblings in close proximity for an extended period of time, and you're probably going to have a problem now and then, okay, depending upon the siblings. And so we had a few problems. I remember one time we're driving down the road and my dad got sick and tired of us bickering in the back seat and he pulled the car off the side of the road. He proceeded summarily to extract each of us individually from our seats and then line us up on the side of the road and then he removed his belt and he asked each of us to summarily grab our ankles and which we did and then he individually administered discipline to each of us children there on the side of the road. In the future, as we traveled in our family, three of us in the back seat, whenever there was a little bit of too much going on in the back seat, all my mom had to say was, children, if your father has to stop the car, you know what's going to happen. God Almighty said to the children of Israel, you rejected me and you resisted me for 40 years in the wilderness and do you see the consequence of your rebellion? Now you left, there were, you were not able to enter the promised land and now he projects it to the people, the Jewish, insecure, immature, professing believers and I use that word intentionally because they were professing and not every one of them was possessing he was professing believers giving them a warning folks you know what's going to happen children if we have to stop the car you know how your father's going to respond but here it is the punishment would be even more severe in the case of the believers who are hearing this word it's God's treatment of past rebellion serves as a stern warning against present rebellion. We are to learn from the example of the past, but then in verses 12 through 19, we are to listen to the exhortation that comes in the present as the past example is articulated and explained and applied in these verses. That's it. Psalm 95 is quoted, then it's explicated, then it's applied in verses 12 through 19. And he does so with two forms of instruction. The first are exhortations that we're supposed to heed. And look at the two commands. Look at verse 12. First it says, take care, or some of your translations say, examine. That's literally the Greek is to examine yourself. Take a good look at yourself, basically, he says. See to it calls for a personal examination. And who is to examine themselves? Take care, brethren. These are those who profess that they have faith in Jesus. You're to take care to examine yourselves, to make certain that you do not have in within you an unbelieving heart. Look, folks, he's saying, you are a church-going people. You are a people who've heard the word of God. 
You read it, but do you heed it? Do you believe the truth of the Word of God? Make certain you examine yourselves. I used to have this problem when I shaved. Uh, I would shave and then I would cut myself. And then when I would cut myself, I'd take a piece of toilet paper and stick it to the place where I cut myself. And stop the bleeding. But I would forget. And I would take my kids to school. And then I would drop them off at the classroom. Hi to the teacher and talk to a few people along the way. And stop at the bank on the way home. And stop at the library and say hi to people. And then I'd come home and Marla would go, Steve, you have toilet paper on your face. Didn't examine my physical appearance. Here, we are to examine our spiritual heart. To see if there is within us an unbelieving, a hardened, unbelieving heart. Folks, are you here this morning as a professing believer who really in your heart rejects Jesus as Savior? Is there some sin that, or pattern or particular sin for which you are not willing to say, I'm going to repent of it, I'm going to confess it, I'm going to turn from it, and I'm going to apply the blood of Christ to it? Do I reject? And he, notice he says in verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away. This is the... This is one word in Greek from which we get our English word apostasy. That I should apostatize. That I should really deny Christ. And I wonder. There's no more grievous sin than to reject Jesus. And I fear as a pastor, preacher, a teacher. That the people that listen to the word of God week in and week out, day in and day out, that there would be in their hearts an unbelieving heart, that there would be some who would truly hear, but they would be rejecting Jesus. And this was what the writer of Hebrews saw among the believers there, these Jewish believers, that they were immature, they were insecure, and there may have been, and there were within them, perhaps people who were professing to know Jesus, but they weren't particularly committed to Jesus. Then he says we should encourage each other. See, to guard against hardened hearts, we need to examine our heart. And if our heart reveals that we aren't a child of God, then we need to turn and trust in Christ. We need to encourage one another, it says in verse 13. But encourage, now the ESV says exhort, because this is an interesting Greek word that carries with it encouragement, exhortation, and it it encompasses a lot of stuff. And so there's two sides to to the coin. As a matter of continuous practice, believers, professing believers, are made to live in community, and in community we are to connect and challenge each other and spur each other on to love and good deeds in the body of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, to exhort, to encourage, and to comfort, to prevent us from becoming hardened. What does that mean, hardened? You ever, you ever shake hands with somebody who has a calloused hand? 
You know, that guy must be a farmer, he must be a machine worker, he must be a, a factory worker or somebody, he just has calluses on his hand. My grandpa, bless his heart, he used to, uh, he, had, he, he farmed and uh, every winter, he, all he wore in the winter was a, a pair of jersey gloves, cloth gloves, that's what he wore. One pair. If it really got cold, he'd double them up, you know. He had one thin pair of dress socks that he wore over his work shoes, and then he'd put on his, his, uh, his, work, his rubber boots, sometimes his five-buckle overshoes. No matter how cold it got, that's all he wore to guard himself from the cold. He'd be out there, take his axe out to the pond. He'd chop a hole in the ice in the pond so the cows could drink. He'd take his gloves off, reach his hand in, and dig out the ice. Then he'd wipe it like this, put his gloves back on, and that was it. He never got cold. Never complained about being cold. He'd say, no, this is how you got to go. This is how you roll. He was hardened by his exposure to the cold. Folks, when we practice and when we permit sin to be in proximity to us, we become hardened to its effect on our soul. We harden to it. We don't see it. And in order to insulate us Further, we have to keep going into sin, but to guard us against becoming hardened, we're to encourage one another. That's what the text says. We're supposed to do that. Sin deceives us into believing that somehow power, somehow possessions, somehow prestige, somehow popularity, somehow being a high-profile person, that's really where it's at. That's what you need. And the lure is particularly tempting when we're in difficult times, when we're struggling, hey, well, well, let's just get a quick fix. You know, let's just feel good. Let's just be important. Let's just manipulate other people so we are significant. And then we feel good about ourselves. This is the lure. And the power of sin, it's so pervasive. It's so persistent. It's so powerful. We need constantly to be reminded and guarded against it. And he says that's why we have each other in the body of Christ. And this encouragement, this exhortation comes in in two fashions, I think, or two forms. First of all, we're to encourage and affirm each other. How do you keep from becoming hardened against sin? Well, to be encouraged in doing what is right. Are we willing to go up to brothers and sisters, particularly in the body of believers in which we are a part, and say, you know what? I just really appreciate your serving in this way. Now, that's why these people that come up here and do this, they're here, they were here last Thursday or Friday or whatever it was, practicing. They were here early this morning practicing. I just bless them. I, I just, I'm blessed by what they're doing. Everybody who's coming out on Wednesday nights, and we got people here at 3, 4, 5 o'clock turning on food, making food, doing that stuff. Bless our heart. But do we tell them that? No, we just bellyache about the food. Well, this is all they can do? I'm not I'm sure about that. Why in the body of Christ do we shoot our own foot soldiers? Encourage them. F, affirm them. Say, bless your heart for your service to the body of Christ. It blesses my soul. 
That's what I want Creekside Church to be known for. I want us as a body of believers to be a body of believers. Not some artificial fake way, but because we know that we love each other. That we're encouraged to, harden, to keep us from becoming hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Because if we're not affirming each other, guess what? There's plenty of places. You can go to the local bar and get affirmed really easily. Is that the place we need to be encouraged and build up in Christ? No, because sin, remember, constant exposure to sin, what does that do? It just hardens us to the Spirit's work in our life. So we're to encourage each other and build each other up. Thanks for your service. You know, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm just praying for you. I I wish I could help you more, but all I know to do is to pray. That you'll know God's peace and God's wisdom and God's grace. Then we're supposed to, second part of that, encourage. I'm going to pick up on the exhort aspect of it. We're supposed to exhort and admonish. We're supposed to encourage, affirm. We're supposed to exhort and admonish. That means we're supposed to speak hard words sometimes, to confront, to challenge, to convict. How many times you had somebody come up? I, I served in... The previous church I was in for 21 years, I think in 21 years I had one person come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, how's your prayer life? Now, do you think the pastor should be praying? I think so. Elders are supposed to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Teaching of the word and prayer. Do we go up to people and say, you know, hey, how you doing with uh, your use of the internet? You know, are you keeping your, keeping your nose clean or are you going places where you maybe shouldn't be going? I mean, I love you enough to ask you about that. Do we challenge each other when we see each other stepping out of line saying, you know, brother, maybe, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. I had a, somebody... Uh, talk to me it really wasn't about a sin issue they just said you know can I can I speak to you as a, as a friend or something um, I don't even really want to go there but I, I guess I opened that can of worms so now you're going to want to know but um, I hauled a rock back from Indiana okay so from my wife's farm we, we got a big rock I sat in the back seat of the car because we have to have a piece of our Indiana heritage you know at our new house and so we got this huge big rock probably weighs 150 pounds sitting in the back seat of the car and my father-in-law is just laughing at us like we're, we're putting this in the, in the back seat. And, and so uh, my brother-in-law says, hey, just as your brother says, maybe you should put a seatbelt around that thing. You know, I'd hate to see that, uh, that thing just fly. You know, you slam on the brakes and that fly through the back seat and then you're smashed against the... Uh, and so, but, you know, do we, do we encourage, do we confront issues that are presented to us, caution each other and encourage each other because we want people to grow in Christ. You know, the Scripture tells us, Ephesians 4... 15, right? Speak the truth in love. It's not like I'm looking for things to kill people on. I just, you know, I, I, I want, and I want people to love me enough to encourage me and challenge and, and that. And we're to exhort believers to maturity. Guess what? We're to exhort unbelievers to accept Christ. But are we doing either? To keep them from becoming hardened to sin. They're to exhort. Are you spending time with your family? Or are you too busy? 
We're spending time in the Word with the Lord. We're too busy. Remember, you get hardened against sin. The more we practice it, the more we permit it into our life, the more hardened we get to the Spirit of God. We're supposed to exhort unbelievers to, to trust Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Keeps them from becoming hardened to sin. And then you see in verse 13, today brings the command and the caution to readers of every age. So what believers am I encouraging? What unbelievers am I exhorting? What, uh, what believers am I exhorting in, in, in Christ, in love? That's the examination. Now we get to the explanation, verses 14 through 19. Basically, notice he starts in verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if. Now I want you to look at verse 6. And see the parallel between verse 6 and verse 14. In verse 6 he says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if. We are partakers if, we are of his household if. The conditional clause there, that's what the if introduces, a condition. The condition of continuance, that is that we are continuing in the faith, is proof of our possession. Only if we continue do we prove that we are genuine. Continuance is the proof of conversion. And therefore gives us a reason why he gives these commands and this this exhortation to examine and to encourage. Because only as we continue on do we prove that we are. That's why we continue. Only as we hold fast are we members of God's Christ, of His family, and of Christ's family. And we want to make sure nobody misses it. And so that's why I'm preaching the message that the writer of Hebrews wrote to the people of uh, the Jewish believers there, professing believers. And then he says this in verse 15, he repeats again, While it is said today, if you hear His voice. And then he asks three questions. I want you to look at the questions in verse 16. 17 and 18. In each question, he says, now who are these troublemakers? Who are these people I was angry with? Who are the people that didn't enter the promised land? Now, that's my paraphrase. Okay, that's not exactly what it said. But the answer to each question is the same. The disobedient Israelites. And what was the consequence? They didn't enter the promised land. And the point is this, folks. Will you learn from the lesson of the past? Unbelief, which is the root of all sin, leads to disobedience. And the consequence of disobedience is for them not entering the promised land and for you not entering into heaven. See, it's even more severe than what happened for them. Unbelief. So the the lesson of Psalm 95 is applied to the present in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, so that we learn the lesson of the past and heed the warning sign that we read that if we do not listen for today, if we do not hear His voice and repent and turn from our unbelief, we will not enter into the ultimate promised land. Today, learn from the example of the past. Listen. Listen to the exhortation of the present. Do not be unbelieving, but believing, I beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God.
on October 8th of 1871. D.L. Moody was preaching to a large crowd, a large audience in the evening that, that Sunday night. And the title of his message was this, What will you do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? Because he was fatigued, he closed the service with words he swore he would never utter again. And this is how he closed the service. Go home and think about what I've said. And when we come together again, you will have an opportunity to respond. Before the closing song was finished, the sirens were ringing, announcing the great Chicago fire in which 100,000 people were displaced from their homes and hundreds of people lost their lives. Among them, some of the people to whom Moody was preaching that night. And he swore. He said, I would give my right arm before I would ever give an audience another week to think over the message of the gospel. Some who heard that night died in the fire. Folks, God's warning, God's call to be believing and not unbelieving. His warning against hardening our hearts against the salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ is for today. Paul said it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you hear the voice of the Spirit calling, do not delay. For now is the time. You may not have tomorrow. Examine ourselves to see if we have in us an unbelieving heart. Or is it just other people? No. Here's, I was thinking about this. I think if there's a fear in your soul that you have an unbelieving heart, chances are you don't. And if there's no fear in your soul that you have an unbelieving heart, chances are you do. Now you can think about that. Correct me if I'm wrong. People ask me, can I commit the unpardonable sin? Pastor, I'm so concerned that I committed the unpardonable sin. I said, don't worry about it. You haven't done it. Because if you weren't worried about it, then I would have said you've probably done it. But because you're concerned about it, chances are you haven't. But I can't close this service. I won't do what Moody did on that night. I will say to you, if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and you say, I don't know if I have this unbelieving heart or not, but right now I want to make sure I don't, then I challenge you and I ask you to pray with me and pray the prayer that I'm going to pray and again the words are not magic but pray this prayer as an expression of the desire of your heart and get it right with God and say now bow your heads and close your eyes I'm going to pray this prayer and if it expresses the desire of your heart I want you to pray it say Lord Jesus I realize I'm a sinner you say it silently to the Lord while I say it out loud Lord Jesus I'm separated from you I deserve your judgment and your wrath and right now, I just accept that you died on the cross as the payment for my sin. And I invite you to be my Lord and my master. I ask you to take control of my life. Help me to be the person you want me to be. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, the words are not magic. You can pray it anytime. You can express it in different ways. But the essence is, don't let the day pass. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow. Believers, we need to be examining our heart, professing believers, to make sure that there is not a heart of unbelief. We need to be exhorting each other to keep us from hardening our hearts against sin. And we need to be exhorting unbelievers that they might come to know who Jesus is so that they wouldn't die in an eternity apart from, from God. And maybe I'm a little bit juiced up about this uh, more than normal, but I just buried a friend of mine yesterday. And uh, he was 69 years old. And that's not old by today's standards. And he knew the Lord. And it reminded me And there were people there that don't know the Lord. And there are people everywhere who don't know the Lord. And folks, we can't miss opportunities to share with them the blessed hope that is within us. I pray, I pray that I never tire of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. And when I do, then I want to be done. Because my usefulness is over for the kingdom of God. That's where it's at. That's what he says today. Today, you say, well, this is the Bible. The Bible's a lot about saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it is. Praise God for it. Today, as we take these elements, today, as we take these elements, we celebrate what Christ has done in his death on the cross as a payment for our sins. And it's open to all who believe what a beautiful, blessed picture it is, a reminder that if you're trusting in Jesus Christ in his death on the cross, this is what he's done for you. He shed his blood and he's broken his body for you so that you could be part of that family of God. Heed the warning that we read in the scriptures, and turn and trust in Christ today. And those of us who know Christ, folks, we just celebrate what God has done. But don't hold it to ourselves. That's the caution. That's the danger. You know, don't get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. Let's share what we've got in the can with other people so they can be saved too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the cross of Jesus. And I thank you for redeeming me and redeeming each one here who's trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I pray that if there's anyone here who's still on the fence, still doubting, that you would work in their hearts, that they would hear the Spirit's call and not harden their hearts while it's still today. They can turn from their sin and trust in Christ and be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.